Coming up next, the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-52. The Norse god Odin was the original version, and he is often depicted as a chubby old man with a white beard. He came from the north. Father Christmas comes from the North Pole. Odin rode an eight-legged horse. Santa has eight reindeer. Odin was the lord of Alfheim, the land of the elves. Santa has elves. So he was heavily based on Odin. Hello there. This is Avi ben Mordechai. Welcome once again to yet another podcast on Real Israel Talk Radio. And uh, Suzanne, my wife, and I are going to continue with our podcast today from where we left off on the last program, dealing with the aspects of Christmas and all of the history, what the calendar situation is, how it drives the annual festival of Christmas in the world. This is program two in our study of Christmas, okay? And uh, before we get started, hi Suzanne, nice to have you with us today. Hi Avi, hi everyone, welcome back. I would like you to once again share with the audience that you understand why these things are so difficult to break from when you're coming into this whole biblical paradigm because family and friends and People out there do this festival every year. They're involved with Christmas and New Year's, and yet, for us, we're battling with it because we have family and friends that just find this extremely important for whatever reasons. Traditional experiences when they were children, the warm, fuzzy feelings you had when you were a young boy or girl, and this was all part of your growing up years. It's really hard to break loose from that. And I know that you have a heart of compassion for many of our listeners who have these kinds of situations that they're having to deal with. Yes, absolutely. For me, breaking loose and changing to a different calendar, I did this many years ago with my now late husband but we did this together and our kids were still young and once I understood what it was about my love for God was higher than my love for Christmas so for us it wasn't a hard thing to do but I have a lot of compassion for how hard it was for my family because that meant there was a huge change and they didn't understand why it wasn't necessarily their conviction it was ours so though for us we felt we moved to something higher and more beautiful for them they probably paid the higher price than we did because we understood why we did it and we wanted to make the change and they lost a family event that they were used to all of us being together and now we're not there it makes it uncomfortable every year and i have a lot of compassion with that So, that being said, let's continue where we left off. We were talking about uh, calendars on the last program and what drives this time of year and all of the festivals that go along with it in the world. And uh, these calendars have all different basis for why they are what they are. And if you have any questions about what we were talking about, because we're not going to go back and repeat everything. Just go back and listen to the previous program, program number one. So uh, take it away, Suzanne, and tell us a little bit about the 
calendars that we're going to talk about here. Yeah, so today we're going to focus a bit more on specifically the Christian calendar. Um, as I mentioned last time, that out of the four different basic types of calendars, in here in Australia, the Aboriginal people or Indigenous people uh, follow a seasonal calendar, Islam follows the lunar, Rome, the current calendar we all follow, the world's Gregorian calendar is a solar calendar, and then, as I understand it currently, the biblical calendar is lunar and solar combination of the two mm -hmm. as we were saying that not only did the calendars help people to keep track of time in general but specifically keep track of their own religious events honoring their specific deities so if the god of the bible is the deity that you want to honor then his calendar would keep track of his special events and he's called out assemblies and appointed times and let's have a look at um, how the Western Christian liturgical calendar, right? Mm. How that compares to what I believe is the blueprint that God has established. So the seasons in Western Christianity are, or the liturgical seasons and appointed times, are Sunday. We have Advent. We have Christmas, as you all know, on 25 December. Then the Epiphany, which is the revelation of Jesus to the Magi, which is called Little Christmas. Um, Lent, which is preparation for Easter, starts with Ash Wednesday and ends with Easter. Mm -hmm. Normally associated with 40 days of some form of fasting in commemoration of the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness, right? So that's mm -hmm. generally how people are mm -hmm. um, introduced to this, to Lent. And then there's Easter and then Pentecost. So those are the events on the liturgical calendar. And as you can see, basically what is, as far as I can see, the only thing that is sort of similar to the biblical appointed times would be Pentecost. Easter is a reinterpretation of Passover. I mean, hot cross buns instead of unleavened bread, Friday afternoon to Sunday morning, um, Ishtar, bunnies, Easter eggs, there's all kinds of, so that's around the same season. I mean, that's a whole different podcast, I suppose, mm -hmm. the differences mm -hmm. between Easter mm -hmm. and Passover. Mm -hmm. So there are some similarities there mm -hmm. and Pentecost, but, but generally it's a different calendar. Mm -hmm. And other than reinventing a whole new calendar, many of these appointed times are so riddled with the traditions of the surrounding nations that some of them have come to resemble the idolatrous feasts of the world more than any attempt to observe a festival of the Bible, honestly. Mm -hmm. So I thought let's start with how the date came to be 25 December, and then we can look at some of the pagan practices that have crept into Christmas celebrations all around the world. Um, firstly, there is no mention of birth celebrations in the writings of early Christian writers, I'm including in here Irenaeus, Tertullian. There are no writings about that. So Christmas being supposedly the birth of Jesus, so that already is worth a mention. And then Oregon of Alexandria goes so far as to mock Roman celebrations of birth anniversaries, dismissing them as pagan practices, a strong indication that the birth of Yeshua was not marked then with similar festivities at that place and time. Um, we're talking here about 165 to 264 mm -hmm. CE. So this is the common era rather than saying AD. It's just 
CE. Okay, go ahead. So it seems like at least up to that point that the Christian group of believers were not at that point having celebrations for the birth of Jesus, right? This stands in sharp contrast to writings and remembrance about his death and resurrection, mm. which there was a lot written about. Mm-hmm. In about 200 CE, according to Clement of Alexandria, several different days had been proposed by various Christian groups. Seeing that the Bible doesn't give us a specific date, people Mm -hmm. were curious, right, Mm -hmm. to work out when was he born. Mm -hmm. Surprising as it may seem, Clement doesn't mention December the 25th at all. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting, yeah. So I'm going to quote here from what Clement wrote. Mm -hmm. He says, There are those who have determined not only the year of our Lord's birth, but also the day. And they say that it took place in the 28th year of Augustus and in the 20th day of May in our calendar. That's what we have from Clement, that they thought May the 20th, right, was his date of birth. Hmm. Um, Further others say that he was born on April 20 or 21st, end quote. Clearly, there was great uncertainty, but also a considerable amount of interest in dating Yeshua's birth in the late 2nd century. Hmm, Interesting. By the 4th century, however, we find references to two dates that were widely recognized, and now also celebrations around his birthday had begun. December the 25th was in the Western Roman Empire, celebrated as the birth of the Messiah, of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then in the Eastern Empire, especially in Egypt and Asia Minor, they celebrated January the 6th as Mm. his birthday. If I understand you correctly, uh, the history records that January 6th was the Eastern Roman Empire date uh, to celebrate his birth. Is that correct? Yeah. That's far as I understand it. And the modern Armenian church continues to this day to celebrate Christmas on January the 6th or the birthday of Jesus. For most Christians, however, 25 December prevailed. While January the 6th eventually came to be known as the Feast of the Epiphany, commemorating the arrival of the Magi in Bethlehem. So the period between became the holiday season, later known as the 12 days of Christmas. So when we sing that song, on the first day of Christmas, that comes from this stuff The period between the 25th and the 6th of January. So that's the origin, as far as I could see, from the 12 days of Christmas. You want to sing that song? No, I really don't know the song, actually. (laughs) I just know it from movies. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. It was, again, never part of my tradition that we sang that song at all. All right, so go ahead. So the earliest mention of December the 25th as the birthday of Jesus came from a mid-4th century Roman almanac, or a calendar that lists the death dates of various Christian bishops and martyrs. So if we say mid-4th century, it's the year 300 and something. That was the time of uh, Constantine, uh, Emperor Constantine, so... Yeah, Mm -hmm. and we have a record saying the first date listed, December the 25th, was marked, and then I quote... Christ was born in Bethlehem of Judea, end quote. Hmm. So as much as 300 years after the birth of Yeshua, we finally find people observing his birth in midwinter. 
And so it took over 300 years, which is a long time, to get to that point. Now everyone's doing midwinter rather than sometime around the springtime in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah, so we've come from basically Clement of Alexandria, then by the mid-300s, It Mm. finally settled that the majority of the believers Mm. observed December the 25th. That's a very long time. I mean, it took took that long to finally get that into the historical record. Yeah, where it went from the early church fathers mocking the birthday celebrations of the Romans to the church now finally having their own birthday celebration of their Messiah and settling on the date of December the 25th. Hmm. Hmm. There are two theories about how they got to settle on that date. Let's take a moment and let's talk about uh, the two theories and see where this takes us. Go ahead. So I've generally only heard the one typical theory that was it's the birthday of all the sun gods, right? But in the research I've done, it didn't seem quite as simple as that, Mm -hmm. and there are different views on Mm -hmm. it. So let's talk about theory number one. Mm -hmm. The Romans had their midwinter festival. It was called Saturnalia, Mm -hmm. and that was held in late December. And barbarian peoples of the northern and western Europe kept holidays at similar times. Mm -hmm. In 274 CE, the Roman Emperor Aurelian established a feast of the birth of Sol Invictus. Sol Invictus. Yeah, Sol is sun, and Invictus is unconquered. You almost had me saying Sol Invictus, and I thought maybe he might have been Jewish. Sol, yeah, well... (laughs) (laughs) No, go ahead, okay. Yeah, so we have um, the Emperor, Roman Emperor Aurelian, establishing the birth of Sol Invictus, or the unconquered son, Mm -hmm. and he established it on December the 25th. So according to this theory, Christmas was then a spin-off from these pagan solar festivals. And early Christians deliberately chose these dates to encourage the spread of Christmas and Christianity throughout the Roman world. So that's one theory, right? If Christmas looked like a pagan holiday, more pagans would be open to both the holiday and the God whose birth it celebrated. Because the earliest Christmas celebrations that we know of was between 250 to 300 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. CE, Um, It came in a period where Christians were not borrowing heavily from pagan traditions as far as we know, Mm -hmm. not in such an obvious way. So that's why not everyone is very comfortable with this theory, number one. Not believing it's quite as simple as that, that the Christians just put a holy cloak around a sun worship day, trying to spread it to the rest of the Roman Empire. Because they they say that Christians at that stage didn't really borrow heavily from pagan traditions. In fact, they were trying to separate themselves from the pagans. So, in other words, I think if I understand, uh, you know, what we're talking about here, that sometimes we give the early Christians kind of a bad rap on this, thinking, oh, the early Christians were just a bunch of pagans, but in reality. Perhaps they were not so much pagans, and we need to give them a fair trial of justice, saying maybe they were much like us. They're saying, we don't want to do this stuff. We're looking for truth to be able to base our practices and our faith on that truth. Yes, and in fact, they, at pains of persecution and death, 
tried very hard to separate themselves from the pagan religions they had been in before. So it's only from Constantine's conversion. Before that, we do not have a lot of evidence of Christians borrowing from pagan religions. But Mm -hmm. after the conversion of Constantine, we do have evidence of Christianity borrowing heavily from pagan traditions. Uh, The evidence that we have then is that uh, Christianity borrowing from pagan traditions after Constantine converted to the Roman Christian values or understanding that he had back then, it's more prevalent after Constantine. Do I understand that correctly? That's what it sounds like from what I've been reading up Mm -hmm, on, yeah. mm -hmm. So the moment Constantine converted to Christianity... And he decreed Rome was to be a Christian empire, right? Mm -hmm. And we know you can't decree Mm -hmm. that someone changed their religion, Mm -hmm. especially with the biblical faith we walk on. It's not by a decree or a stroke of the pen that you Mm -hmm. become part of the fellowship of believers. It's Mm -hmm. through being born from above. Mm -hmm. So here was a decree made by Constantine that everyone now is Christian, where we know that's not possible. Um, unless everyone had a true biblical born-from-above experience with repentance and receiving the Word and Messiah, that could not happen. So intrinsically, they were outwardly Christians, but inwardly still pagan. So from the mid-4th century onwards, we do find Christians deliberately adapting and Christianizing. Let's see here, a famous proponent of this Mm -hmm. was Pope Gregory the Great. We have evidence that in a letter written in 601 CE, the letter he wrote to a Christian missionary in Britain, right, Mm. that he recommended that local pagan temples be not be destroyed but be converted into churches Hmm. and that pagan festivals be celebrated as feasts of Christian martyrs. Wow, wow, that's amazing. So we have um, evidence of that in the letter that he wrote. Hmm. So since the December 25 feast seems to have existed before Constantine, right, and his conversion only in 312, there is a French scholar suggesting a different theory um, this happened in the early 20th century to say, right, it's not that the early Christians just Christianize all these pagan festivals mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because the dates don't work. The early Christians mm-hmm. actually separated themselves and the Christianizing of the festivals only came later. So our question again, how did 25 December come to be? So theory one, it's just a Christianizing of the pagan solar mm-hmm. festivals. Mm-hmm. And now we can discuss theory number two. So, theory number two on how the early Christian church settled on December the 25th as a birthday of Jesus. This theory was suggested by a French scholar in the early 20th century. Uh, This theory was based on a report in which Tertullian of Carthage reported the calculation that the 14th of Nisan is the year that Jesus died. Hmm. This is a report from 200 CE, right? Mm -hmm. So before Constantine converted. Hmm. So it seems like there was not only an attempt to try and find the exact date of his birth, but also of his death. Hmm. So 14th of Nisan is biblically the the day that the Passover lambs were killed. 14th of Nisan 
is the alternative name for the biblical month Aviv. Aviv, which is mentioned in Exodus chapter 12. Okay, so it's the 14th of Aviv or the 14th of Nisan. It's both referring to the same thing. So go ahead. Biblically, we know, oh, the 14th day of the first month is the day that Yeshua was crucified and died, right? 14th day of the first month. In the Hebrew calendar, a biblical calendar, yeah. But trying to find where on the Roman calendar 14th of Nisan was in the year that he died. So... Tertullian of Carthage calculated that this 14th day of the first month in the year that Yeshua died was equivalent to March the 25th on the Roman solar calendar. So later, around the 4th century, it was thought that Jesus was also conceived on the 25th of March, right? So he calculated he died on March the 25th, and then they also thought he was conceived on March the 25th. Mm. And it was recognized as the Feast of the Annunciation, or the commemoration of his conception. So I'll give you a bit of background about why they would even think something like that. That Mm -hmm. seems odd, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So Yeshua was believed to have been conceived and then years later crucified on the same day of the year. Augustine too was familiar with this association. I'm going to read a quote here from what he wrote um, in a document called On the Trinity. This is uh, Church Father Augustine. Yes, that's correct. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, around the 399 to 419, there was a document called On the Trinity, and he writes, quote, For he, Jesus, is believed to have been conceived on the 25th of March, upon which day also he suffered. So the womb of the virgin in which he was conceived, where no one of mortals was begotten, corresponds to the new grave in which he was buried, Hmm. wherein was never man laid, neither before him nor since. But he was born, according to tradition, upon December the 25th. So what we have here is he was saying that no other mortal was begotten in that womb, and no other man ever laid in the same tomb, right? Mm-hmm. And from his mm-hmm. calculation, from what he also believed to be the date of conception, 25 December, 25 December then, as a tradition to his birth, is a very easy next step, because mm-hmm. it's nine months later. So if he was conceived on 25 March, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if you just go through a normal pregnancy period, mm-hmm. you end on 25 December. Hmm. as a date of birth. Hmm. So this theory, number two, they tried to figure out on what day he died and then assumed on the day he died was also the exact day of the calendar year that he was conceived. Now that seems very strange to us, connecting Yeshua's conception and death in this way. It's very odd to me, in a way. Mm -hmm. But it reflects ancient and medieval understandings that the whole of salvation was bound up together. The notion that creation and redemption should occur at the same time of year is also reflected in ancient Jewish tradition, that the patriarchs and prophets had their birth and death on the same date. This is true. There's a lot of uh, historical uh, data in the Jewish record that... uh, Birth and death were on the same date. Yeah, they yeah. did. Mm-hmm. So here we have early Christian believers think conception and death happened on the same day. So it was trying to find when he died, 
that led them through these traditions to figure out the day he was conceived and then they just counted nine months later and that's how they ended up on 25 December. Mm. So in the end, we cannot be entirely sure, right, how 25 December came to be Christmas. But we do know is that it never formed part of any celebration in the Bible or even the early church before Constantine um, converted and Rome became officially Christian. It developed from the 4th century until modern times. We also know that many elements of the festival is derived from pagan winter solstice festivals, um, which welcomed the return of the sun in sun worship. And we can look at a few of those. I don't know how much time you want to spend on it, because people can easily go and search it out. Mm-hmm. But we'll mm-hmm. we'll name a few examples here. Okay, so why don't we take a break here and we'll come back. You are listening to Real Israel Talk Radio. This is a podcast I do every week, and uh, Suzanne has a tendency to join me once in a while. Uh, I do enjoy her uh, company on on the air here, as we're dealing with uh, why I exchanged uh, my Christmas tree and Father Christmas for the menorah. So uh, we'll come back after the break. Continue to stay with us. listening to Avi Ben Mordechai and the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-51. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai and... This is Suzanne, Avi's wife. Hi. Let's continue where we left off in our second podcast in this program series of uh, Real Israel Talk Radio on Christmas and about what it all reveals and what it stands for. So, Suzanne, continue on where we left off here. Indeed. So, the theory that it's just all the early Christians just Christianized the pagan solar birth date, solar deities, that's the one I was initially introduced to. Um, but as I say, since we've read here that the early Christians, we don't have evidence of that in, until after Constantine. The calendar was changed a few times. Mm-hmm. Rome changed the calendar a few mm-hmm. times, right? So there mm-hmm. was a time when 25 December marked the day where the sunlight daytime was starting to get longer. So the sun, they believe the sun died and then resurrected. So it came back as a resurrection every year. So from 25 December in some of the calendars, and after it changed, it moved. Currently is the day where in the northern hemisphere, the sunlight hours start getting longer. You know, we might end up at some point in the future here uh, doing a podcast on Hanukkah because the lighting of the candles in the Hanukkah those candles are lit one every night. Then there was a dispute between Shammai and Hillel in the Jewish scholarship arena as to whether you light them to go lighter or darker. In other words, you start with eight and then you go down seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, or you go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And uh, we should do the Hanukkah thing at some point in the future to talk a little bit about how the pagan. Uh, practices uh, of the nations kind of or might have crept into the uh, participation and 
the practice of Hanukkah. So we'll see. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Yeah. Okay, we'll save that for another time, but go ahead. So as you say, the returning of the sun. So currently it's 21st December. From then the daylight hours start getting longer, but previously before one of the last calendar changes there was a time when 25 december used to mark that mm. date you know if you want to know anything more on any of these things you can uh, go on the internet you can study them you can you can read alexander hislop's book uh, the two babylons he's got all kinds of stuff uh, from when he wrote well over a hundred years ago when he was writing all these things about the various elements of uh, of this time of year with Christmas and everything. He talks about it, these things. Most of these, I would say all of these I mention here, come from the Northern Hemisphere. I'm a South Af- ex-South African, right? Mm-hmm. We, we have totally different Christmas. Christmas for us was hot. It was our summer holidays. We would go mm-hmm. to the beach. Mm-hmm. So the whole white Christmas... Um, that, that, and that, whole, <laughs> that whole theme is not there. No, we, we didn't have that. It was, it, was, it was our warmest time of the year. So we can't... I, I could never relate to these, but suppose the mm-hmm. people from the Northern Hemisphere... It, this is creeping into the Southern Hemisphere, or has been for years, but... I didn't really grow up with a lot of these, as I say. We, mm. For us, it was hot, summer, beach. So um, mm. not many of these crept into our home anyway. Mm. But, and for you, Avi, I don't know, you, though you were or are Jewish, you didn't really grow up um, religious in a religious Jewish house. You had Christmas too as a oh, child, when, right? Oh, when I was, when I was a young boy, uh, even, uh, even in a Jewish home, we were, uh, you know, we were secular Jews, and yes, we did Christmas every year. I still have family. Uh, yeah, they, they do Christmas also. Even though they're Jewish, uh, it's just a, it's a tradition. It's a practice, and it's just what they do. Yeah, yeah so let's look at a few mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Christmas traditions. The first one, I suppose, that people really associate with Christmas is holly. Mm-hmm. And it seems from Roman mythology... Holly was the sacred plant of the god Saturn, and to honor him at the Saturnalia festival, which was towards the end of December, the Romans gave each other gifts of holly wreaths. So that's one of those that have crept into our, especially northern hemisphere, but into lots of Christmas um, holiday festivities is the holly wreath, right? Mm -hmm. Saturnalia itself, this was known for revelry, drinking, overeating and gift giving and Mm. i can relate to all of these (laughs) the gifts that the romans gave to each other were small and they were given for luck Mm. today it's quite horrendous the craziness that happens every year with christmas gift buying and gift giving it's quite i i feel very relieved to not be part of that rat race yearly anymore Mm. Mm -hmm. so That was Saturnalia. Then charity, interesting. This was a practice towards those who were less fortunate and was always very popular at this time of the year. The humble beginning of gift giving has developed over the years and is now a multi-million dollar business, causing many people to say that the art of gift giving has been replaced by mass consumerism and greed. I think most people will agree with this Mm -hmm. but interesting Mm -hmm. that charity was also a very traditional part of the pagan feasts over that time Mm -hmm. then mistletoe mistletoe was revered as a sacred plant of the celts the norse and the north american native americans 
Apparently, the Druids believed that mistletoe could protect against thunder and lightning. Hmm. Mistletoe was also recognized as a Druidic symbol of joy and peace. If enemies met each other underneath the woodland mistletoe, they were obliged to put down their weapons and form a truce until the following day. And then we'll kill you. I can't remember if it was World War One or Two mm-hmm. that there were times when they would have a truce bet- on the battlefield, have Christmas together, and the next day keep killing one another. So, <laughs> Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. So mm. this is where the custom of hanging a sprig of mistletoe from the ceiling and kissing under it. So it originates from the sacred plants of the Celts and the Norse. Hmm. Hmm. Um, so protecting you and um, bring, bringing joy and peace. Hmm. Ivy, also very much part of... Interesting how much plant and green, right? I suppose mm-hmm. if you live in the Northern Hemisphere mm-hmm. and the further up north you go and everything dies, I can understand that anything that just remains evergreen must bring you a sprig of joy <laughs> when everything else dies. So I've got a lot of compassion with how... Uh, I've never lived uh, r- that far north, but I can, I can really relate. It must be hard. Mm-hmm. So ivy in Roman times was a symbol of Bacchus, I'm sure most of you have seen the images of Bacchus or the statues with the ivy wreath on his head. He was the god of wine and revelry. Um, He wore it in his crown, the ivy, and pagans believed ivy to be a symbol of eternal life. Hmm. Though not so popular, apparently, in the U.S., I don't know, Avi, you would have to say, it plays an important part in traditional English Christmases, having ivy. Now let's move on to the colors of Christmas. I don't know... You guys out there, what colors do you typically associate with Christmas, mm. right? Red uh, red and green. Red and green. Mm. The traditional Christmas colors of red and green are apparently derived from pagan decorations of green leaves and red berries on holly and mistletoe wreaths. Oh. So the green, evergreen and the red berries of winter, that's... Where the colors, the red and green colors of Christmas came from. I'm thinking of this song, uh, the rocking around the Christmas trees that deck the halls with boughs of... Hollywood? Yeah. Boughs of holly? It's a wood that was popular for making wands, ah. magic wands. Ah. That was one of the preferred woods to make wands with. When you go on people's homes, you know, in, in the Christmas season, you see those boughs of holly, the, the wreaths. On the doors, right? I yeah, that's the first one we spoke about. Right. The, uh, the <laughs> We've already the... covered the holly. That oh, was okay. our first one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. So let's look at Christmas carols or carols, right? There was originally, um, carols were part of festivities during this midwinter festivals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They were originally pagan songs that were sung at celebrations surrounding the winter solstice festivals. Mm. The word carol actually means a song or dance of joy and praise and was sung in praise of the return of the sun after a long winter. So you're saying that that term carol is like you are a person of uh, song and dance, joy and praise. Is that kind of the idea then? Yes. Um, as far as I know, it's Carol is the feminine form of a Latin, hmm. Carolus, I don't know how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's a f- short form of Caroline. Hmm. Um, it's derived from the word carol, joyous song. Yeah, it's a beautiful name and beautiful meaning. It just depends who you're bringing honor to and who is the cause of your joy. So here it was originally, it was joy because the long winter has ended. 
and there's going to be new life as the sun returns. So sure. that was originally the source of the joy and the song and the praise was the return of the sun. So obviously that's why people go around caroling at, you know, Christmas season then, of course, yeah. Yeah, today they carol because Jesus was born, right? Mm-hmm. But if he wasn't born 25 December, which he very likely wasn't, then it, it is a source of joy. But the fact that they're caroling during that time is Probably because it came from carol singing from the sun's return. This is interesting because uh, it tends to, you know, direct my attention to the biblical festival of Sukkot or Tabernacles, which is called the season of our joy, and it is where we sing. It's a wonderful festival. We'll talk more about that on the next podcast when we come back. But it's interesting about this whole celebratory uh, theme, this uh, idea that, uh, you know, we're singing and we're happy and it's full of joy. That's a Sukkot theme for sure. All right. And let's talk about the big guy, Father Christmas. Um, The image that we know today of Father Christmas um, has largely been shaped by none other than Coca-Cola. Apparently, there was an ad campaign, an advertising campaign in the 1930s. Mm. But the concept of Father Christmas is firmly rooted in paganism. Mm-hmm. He is a Coca-Cola version of the Norse god Odin. Oh, and Odin no. is definitely making his way back into popularity with all the Marvel movies. Yeah, the Marvel movies with uh, Odin. And Thor. Thor. Yeah, so the, the Norwegian or the Norse gods are making a comeback. Ah, or maybe okay. with Mr. Father Christmas, they never truly left. I'm not sure. Hmm. The Norse god Odin was the original version, and he's often depicted as a chubby old man with a white beard. He came from the north, and Father Christmas comes from the North Pole, right? Hmm. So uh, there you see the similarities. Mm-hmm. Uh, Odin was the lord of Alfheim, the land of the elves. Odin rode an eight-legged horse. Santa has eight reindeer. Oh, my, 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 And you see, as I say, Odin was the lord of Alfheim, and Santa has elves. So you can see the similarities there. Hmm. So he was heavily based on Odin. In late December, Odin would travel through the villages during Yuletide, which was the winter solstice celebration. Mm -hmm. And kids would fill their boots with straw and leave it next to the hearth for Odin's horse. So in return, he would leave them toys and candy. The Yule log also originates from the Norse Yuletide Winter Solstice Festival. Wow. So this is really interesting that uh, there is a connection going on here between uh, the Norse god Odin and uh, the Christian uh, version of this Santa Claus, St. Nick kind of character. Yeah, that's what I've been able to dig up in my Mm. searches, Mm. is that it seems the Norse god Odin was the main contributor to what we know as Santa Claus, and Coca-Cola just changed his image and made it into the laughing, white-bearded, chubby old man that we know today. I don't know, when I think of a white-bearded, chubby old man, I keep thinking of a grumpy old man. 
No, I don't. I just think of kids crying when they have to be put on the strange old man's lap in the shopping malls and parents want to happily snap away and the kids are just afraid they actually don't want to sit on his lap, the little ones. Um, wow, yeah. wow, wow, wow. Okay, go ahead. And there's another one here. Yeah, so evergreen boughs. Mm-hmm. These were reminders of all the green plants that would grow again when the sun god was strong and summer would return. Deck the halls with boughs of holly. Fa-la-la-la-la, la-la-la-la. So, evergreen boughs, as you just introduced us to the words of that very popular Christmas carol. Mm-hmm. In many countries, it was believed that evergreens would keep away witches, ghosts, evil spirits, and even illness. The ancient Egyptians worshipped the sun god called Ra at the solstice. When Ra began to recover from the illness, the Egyptians filled their homes with green palm rushes, which symbolized for them the triumph of life over death. In Northern Europe, the mysterious Druids, the priests of the ancient Celts, also decorated their temples with evergreen boughs as a symbol Mm. of everlasting life. Mm. We can see there are many themes here of joy and of life Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. growth and who are we celebrating as the source of the joy and the life mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. compared to where we would celebrate it as a biblical concept of who and how we celebrate life and who do we find our joy in. You know, a lot of people, very good honest, righteous, well-meaning Christian people, people that I know all over the world, there are many who simply will say, you know, what what harm is there in celebrating some of these things? We're not worshiping the deities of the, of the nations and the pagans. We don't believe in Father Christmas and his uh, boughs of holly and his reindeer and Odin and, you know, all those things. We, we, we're, we're not going that path. It's just a harmless festival and... We just love the joy of this time of year. What do you say to something like that? What does somebody say to their family in in this kind of situation? Well, I can only speak for myself, right? And I still find joy in this time of the year because in the in South Africa, this is the time of the year that most people had their annual holidays. So I still find joy in spending time with family being outside and enjoying beautiful summer weather, I still find joy joy in all of those things. What I don't do anymore is celebrate the birthday of Jesus when I know it wasn't that day. And for me, it was as much a walking away from celebrating things that were mixtures of truth and lie as much as it was walking towards the biblical feast. Well, my late husband and I, we were picking up some beautiful new truths that were uncompromised, and it was Jehovah's feast day. So for us, it was as much about proclaiming the beauty of his salvation plan. And once you start proclaiming those, then your joy is focused on there. So there's no reason for me to proclaim the birthday of Jesus on 25 December anymore 
So it was the beauty of the feast that drew me away towards following them and drew me away from all the other traditions. Mm. So mm. I think it's, it's, it's back to if you love him and if his message and his blueprint of salvation to mankind, if you want to be part of proclaiming that, and I believe most people want to, most believers really have a heart for proclaiming the gospel, right? What better way to proclaim it than to live a life and to proclaim through your rehearsals? And if people are curious and ask, why are you doing this weird thing? Why are you not um, observing Christmas or the typical things? It gives you an opportunity to talk about the true message behind the biblical appointed times. So for me, I don't want as much to horrify people with these things as I want to inspire people to say, if you love him, obey his commandments, his instructions for life, proclaim the beauty Mm -hmm. of what he had. Mm -hmm. And once you look to that and proclaim that, which is all about him, then the love of what you used to do will fade in the presence of this that is so much better and mm-hmm. higher mm-hmm. than what we used to do. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the other times that you have, I have a friend who always says, don't cut away something, but replace it with something better. Because if you just end up not doing any of these feasts, you end up with nothing. And I believe some people do that. But we were built to have feast days. We were designed to proclaim these things. We were made that way. So if you just have nothing, you cut away some of these things. And what do you do? What do you have to celebrate in the end with your family? But God has already given us beautiful feasts that all point to Messiah and to His redemption and His plan from the beginning to the end the first coming and the second coming, not just half of the story, the full story, right? And be drawn by the beauty of that. Start doing the beautiful things, and then these will eventually just lose their attraction and fade away. That's how it was for us anyway. Mm -hmm. Okay, we are at the end of our program number two in this uh, series on uh, exchanging our Christmas tree and Father Christmas for a menorah and for the biblical truth of Scripture regarding the uh, festivals and feast days. Suzanne, I think we should come back for a third and final program on this series. So uh, let's continue dealing with uh, the Christmas tree and then uh, traditions and how all those play into our understanding of Scripture. And then we're giving reasons, of course, why we should all reconsider that the Almighty Eternal One wants to draw us into His festivals and His holy teachings of the scriptures, as you've been saying. We'll talk about the Christmas tree that Germany was uh, credited with actually starting the Christmas tree tradition as we know it. We'll talk about 19th century Americana, where the Christmas trees were uh, brought in as part of the celebrations. We'll talk about the Europeans and how uh, small trees, about roughly about a meter and a half or so, were, were used, where Americans liked their Christmas trees to reach from, <laughs> from floor to ceiling. They always like things big in America. They like the Texas-sized Christmas tree, right? 
So we'll talk a little bit about these things. Is there anything else you want to add before we uh, close off here for today? Uh, yes, we're going to add the menorah as well. Of course, yeah, because that <laughs> is, that's the tree of life. So next time we'll be talking about two trees. Mm-hmm. And it's taking us all the way back to the beginning in the garden mm-hmm. where there were these two trees we had to choose from, right? So we'll end up with two trees, the Christmas tree and the menorah. And then at some point, we each have to decide which tree we choose to eat from. Okay, so uh, we will continue. And uh, if you want any further information on the uh, outreach that we do, uh, this is Real Israel Talk Radio. The website is www.cominghome.co.il. Again, cominghome.co.il. And when you go to our website, go ahead and register for a free, no-cost membership that will give you access to the forum that is set up on that site. And you can um, make some comments about what you're listening to. You can communicate with other members. Uh, you can ask questions about things. You can share your some of your struggles with other believers in the Messianic Walk of Truth, and they'll help you. It's all part of that forum, so you have to be a member to be a part of that. But there's no cost, no obligation, no monetary involvement. It's just a membership that so we know who's part of that uh, forum and who's not. So go ahead and join us for that if you'd like. In the meantime, uh, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, may Jehovah bless you and guard you and keep you. And we'll come back on the third program, number three, uh, our final program, to deal with this whole aspect of the Christmas spirit versus the uh, the spirit of the Torah and the menorah. I like that. It rhymes. Okay? So take care of yourselves, folks. I'm Avi ben Mordechai. And this is Suzanne. And Avi, if I can just say something quickly here. You mentioned that this is all free. And yes, it is. It is our privilege to make all of these things available. But I want to shout out to the people that are donating making it possible for us to put this out Mm, for free. So thank you to every one of you who contribute. Um, It's not a condition of any of this, but for those who have put on their heart, we truly thank you. And it contributes to the cost of having this ministry going. And we really value that and thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. So I'm Avi ben Mordechai. And this is Suzanne. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Real Israel Talk Radio. This is the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio with Avi ben Mordechai. Simply register your email address with us on our website, cominghome.co.il. Again, questions at cominghome.co.il. (laughs) 